Welcome to this episode where I'm going to talk to you about why we are moving our family to Costa Rica. So I've been looking forward to talking about this and I've just been kind of collecting my thoughts and my notes over the last month or so just in the preparation of like, what do I want to disclose here? Like how far back do I want to go with regards to the story of why we're actually moving to Costa Rica, which by the way, got my Costa Rica t-shirt on here right now. My wife was down there. uh, I guess it was like three weeks ago. Now she was there for three and a half weeks and she went there specifically to go and take a look at the country, take a look at the areas that we're considering, take a look at the schools that we're considering, and just get a feel as to whether or not it was and is the place for us. And she brought me this nice t-shirt. And she also brought me, you know, a little souvenir as well. Pure Vita, baby. A little monkey on there, Costa Rica. So that's what I have so far from Costa Rica. Full disclosure, I've never been to Costa Rica before. I have friends who've been to Costa Rica. I've had friends who have lived in Costa Rica. And I've heard good things and bad things from all of those people, those trusted sources. So there's a bit of a leap here still for me in particular. I have no idea what to expect, but there's a handful of things that I'm really grounded in. One of those is the fact that I really trust my wife's opinion. So when we moved to this place in West Kelowna, we moved from Vancouver and she found this house and made an offer on it. And we closed on the house before I ever even saw it. (laughs) And, you know, at that time I was kind of like, what, what do you mean we're going to do that? And I'm not even going to get to see it, but this turned out to be an amazing home for our family and neighborhood and community and just the nature and the mountains and the rivers and stuff around us. It's its really incredible. So needless to say, there was a lot of trust that was built there. So when, when we decided that Costa Rica was likely going to be the place that we we're going to go, um, we decided to send my wife there at the start of March. Now, the other side of this is that we actually had planned to go there in May of 2020 And then, of course, the big C hit, and we couldn't go anywhere. And then in December of 2021, we were also planning on going. So we were like, okay, let's go. Let's make this happen. And then our government decided to mandate that if you're not vaccinated, you cannot get on an airplane. So that's what ixnade that one. And looking back on it, it was actually probably for the best anyways, because we were a little bit naive in thinking that the prices wouldn't be four to 10 times what they normally are at that particular time of year, Christmas and New Year's. We had friends that are down there actually telling us that, like, "Mm, are you sure you want to come at Christmas time? We're like, yeah, hell yeah, you know? And then when our flights got canceled because we couldn't go, we just kept looking at all the prices and I was like, oh man, I think this is a blessing (laughs) because there was places that were renting for $1,500 that were now going for like $8,000 for a month which was a little nuts. So I think it was a blessing in disguise. But anyway, so my wife went and it was a really good experience for her as well as a much needed opportunity for her to just, quite frankly, um, get away from here, from everyday life, from just all of the stresses and all of the things that's brought us to this point right now, knowing that when I met my wife, 
in 2010, she had actually just returned from traveling South and Central America and her heart opened up. Her creativity, her her desire to be um, spontaneous, all of that kind of stopped when she came back to Vancouver at that time. And there was a bunch of things that happened before we met, but then ultimately we met and then we we started to, you know, build a life together and, and she never went back to that place. And there was always something deep down inside of her that wanted to go back to Central or South America and just go explore again, just go be the re- the person that I met um, back in 2010. And that's exactly what the trip was for her. It was full of ups and downs. There was lots of breakdown moments. There was, I think it was probably on day five that she said that she wanted to come home because <laughs> she missed our boys. Um, there was moments where she met people down there, uh, other Canadians, for example, who would say, oh my God, this place is so expensive. Nobody can afford to live here. You shouldn't move here. Um, that was an interesting one because when when I talked to her about that, the first thing I said is like, stop freaking talking to people like that. We are not going to Costa Rica to be able to transplant ourselves into another country, culture, to be the same people with the same um, operating system as we do here. And we certainly will not be seeking out friends that want to try and turn Costa Rica into what we have here in Canada. We want to integrate into the culture and the society. So anyway, she had an, an incredible trip. By the end of it, she said, this is our place. We're going. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to break down the how we got to here, like what is some of the background, and then also the the specifics of why we're going. Because naturally you think, well, it's, you know, surf and sun. Why, why would you not? But there's much more to it than that as to why Costa Rica, and then just in general, why are we leaving Canada? So I'll get into all that stuff. But I do want to back it up a little bit here too and just tell a story with regards to 15 years ago, I read this book right here. So it is called Unlikely Destinations, The Lonely Planet Story. And this book like changed my perspective on what's possible, not only for me and my desires to explore the world and to travel and do all these incredible things, but also how I could create a family and a partnership, a relationship that also valued that and just did it, like really leaned into the experiences. And if you've never read this book, what it is is... um, a documentary style or an autobiography style book by Tony and Maureen Wheeler, who are the creators of The Lonely Planet. So, you know, those guidebooks that you had before the internet, they were the creators of those and they were from the UK and they traveled through Eastern Europe and down through Afghanistan. This is obviously way before all the conflict in the Middle East, down into Southeast Asia and then down to Australia. And they documented the whole journey. So they wrote about the trains that they took and they talked about the, the coffee shops and the restaurants that they, that they uh, frequented and the people that they met and, and the environment and the animals and all of these things. And then they sold it as a travel guide. 
And then the rest, of course, we know the story. There's now, you know, Lonely Planet books for all kinds of countries in multiple languages. It's now obviously translated into more of an online world as far as how we access information. But like my wife uh, bought hard copy books when she went to Costa Rica because she's like, I just like having that little book. You know, even if it's a Spanish translation one, she's like, I just want the book. I don't want, I don't want Google Translate. I want the book. So when I read this book though, at that time I was actually, um, I was married the, my first marriage, my first marriage. And my first wife was very much a traveler. Like she loved to travel obsessively. Like she made a point every year to do a, a long travel. Even as she got into working as a lawyer and whatnot, she always made sure that she did that. And again, I'm super grateful for that too, because like the first overseas trip that I ever did was to Ireland to go and see her because she was working there in the summertime at a, at a hotel. And, you know, that really kind of cracked me open to like, oh, this traveling thing's pretty cool. Because aside from that, everything that I had done for traveling up until then was always like hockey related. So I, you know, I went all the way across Western Canada. I never really went into Eastern Canada, but then as I played university hockey, I was fortunate enough to travel and play hockey in like Eastern Michigan and Illinois and uh, Colorado, Colorado State, Arizona State, Arizona, all these places. So I got to see a good chunk uh, Delaware. That was where we had the national championship when I was playing in Iowa State. So I got to travel a bit, but never outside of North America. So that was my first trip. And I just remember reading this though too and thinking that's the life that I want. Not only the life with a partner, but also like the other side of this is that this couple kept traveling and they had kids and they brought their kids up to base camp um, at Mount Everest. And that was the life that I wanted to live. Now, that was 15 years ago, right? So I didn't envision what this would look like 15 years ago. In fact, I wasn't visualizing anything. I was just like, oh, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Off to being busy trying to figure out how to navigate this world that we're in. But... You know, I made a lot of decisions over the, the last 15 years, too, that were intentionally made to put me in a position where when the opportunity presented itself, that I would have no excuse and no limitations to actually create that life. That was entrepreneurship. That was diving headfirst into things that I had no clue how to do, that a lot of times my work was more like a hobby, in some cases for years, like when I was deep into the sports social media world from like 2009 to 2012, I had a hobby, like, let's be honest, I hardly made any money, but I got to be involved in all kinds of cool events. I got to uh, create content and interview, you know, leaders in the sports industry, uh, people that like, um, people that were running like presidents, CEOs of professional sports teams. Um, you know, the events, for example, I was involved in the the Grey Cup Festival here in Canada, which is just a huge festival that happens every year during the Grey Cup. And then I got involved in the Olympic uh, side of things, and I, I did a lot of speaking with the athletes, talking about life after sport, and then that transitioned into being able to speak to NCAA athletes. Like, all of these things, though, didn't just happen. I created it. I created it by jumping right in and saying, I'm going to figure this out, and then I'm going to say, I am exceptional at this, and I'm going to keep honing my craft, and I will get paid for this, and I will create a business around this. And I have. You know, over the years, it's morphed in many different ways. But most recently, I sold a business that 
now gives me shares in a company that's going to be a very comfortable exit. And I've also built up a skill set over 15 years now that has put me in the 15 to 20,000 plus hours of my craft, which makes me exceptional at what I do. And I say all this because anybody that's watching this and thinking, man, I wish I could move to Costa Rica. This was a decision. Yes, it was 15 years ago. If you're starting from zero right now, like you're in a job and you're you're like, I want that life. I, I want to still be able to earn a living while I'm working remotely. Um, it's a decision. You have to just start. You got to jump into something that you have no clue about. Find your mentor or mentors and just take the leap. There's so much opportunity now. It's absolutely incredible. COVID sped all of this up too. That's the other thing that I'll say. While we always look at COVID as like, oh my God, what a horrible two years. There was a moment in time in March 2020 when the world went to Zoom meetings. Like we're talking 200 million people that started using Zoom within a week. Mind-blowing, mind-blowing. But what it did was it just, poof, anybody that was resistant to it, we're ready. Okay, I got to keep working. I guess I'll do this Zoom thing. Now my only decision is do I wear pants today or not? (laughs) But people are getting fatigued by it now too, right? Because it's just not sustainable. We're not meant to be sitting behind these computers all the time and, and doing our work. But... But it does create an incredible opportunity for anybody that wants to lean into it. And then the other thing I'll say on that, too, is, you know, Elon Musk is throwing satellites in the sky right now that's going to enable us to have Internet connections in the middle of the jungle. So wherever there was limitations before of like, oh, you can't move to Costa Rica because there's no high speed fiber optic Internet there. Well, yes, there is now. And the technology is advancing so much that you can choose where you want to live And go do that and still be able to make a living and stay connected to the world, stay connected to family, all the amazing things that the internet actually gives us. Okay, I just needed to say that out loud. And then the last thing I'll say, and then I'll get into some of the details of why we're moving there, is my wife, Sharmilla, and I's wedding song was Dave Matthews, You and Me. And I'll link this up in the show notes so everybody can hear it, but essentially... It's just another one of those pieces where the two of us chose that because we said we are going to have a family one of these days and we will travel the world with them, you and me together. And our kids will be with us every step of the way as well. So all of these pieces are just like full circle coming to fruition. And I am just so grateful for that. And at the same time, I know that I created this. Like, this just didn't happen. I created every single piece of this. And anybody watching this, you have the ability to do it as well. You really do. So let me get into the details of why we are going. And I'll break these down. So one, the most obvious, is the weather. (laughs) The weather is a huge one. We've both lived in Canada all of our lives, with the exception of a couple of stints down in the U.S. for me. But I was in cold states. Like, I lived in North Dakota and Iowa while I went to university. And uh, 
And then I did live in L.A. for about two months, but that was a short stint. I didn't stay there very long. So the weather's an obvious one, but on that note, it's just, you know, vitamin D, good old vitamin D. I just got back from the the labs here, so Valley Lab, they call it. It's a testing facility for uh, just doing tests like blood work, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I did it because I wanted to be able to get benchmarks, baselines of like, how am I? Like, what, what's my cholesterol like? What's my vitamin B levels like? What's my vitamin D levels like? And it turns out that all of these tests are coming, covered by our managed service provider, our universal healthcare, with the exception of vitamin D. So at first thought, you're like, well, what in the hell is, like, why? And then I actually asked the gal that was taking my blood, and she's like, you know what? The government just took it away because they figured everybody in Canada is deficient of vitamin D because of the lack of sunlight here in the wintertime. And there was a part of me that was like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But the other side was just kind of like, well, what the hell are we doing here then? You know, like, and naturally I know the answer is, well, this is our home. This, like, I'm proud to be Canadian. I love being Canadian. My family's here. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm grounded here. I'm rooted here. But every time I've gone down south and I've been in that sunshine and I jump in that ocean, I just think to myself, man, this feels like home. This is where I want to be. So weather is a huge one. Weather is a huge one. I just got out of the tanning booth, actually. I don't know if you can tell. I might be a little bit like greasy and shiny right now. But I do that because, again, well, one, my wife tells me that I'm just ultra, like, transparently white. Uh, She's East Indian, by the way, like Fijian Indian. So significantly darker than me. Uh, So it's a a joke. It's a joke. Um, And naturally, we have mixed kids, too, which is another piece of what I'll talk about here in a second as well. So the second piece is um, nutrition, food. So what I mean by that is we make a point to eat well in our home and outside of our home. Like we, we eat well. We choose what we put in our bodies. And we're not perfect all the time. You know, we enjoy a good drink on the weekend. My wife and I are going out for date night tonight. And we're going to the, uh, what's it called? It's not the Angry Butcher or Something butcher anyways, but it's a meat place, you know, like we're going to eat some meat tonight and drink some wine and look at the lake. But we do genuinely um, are consciously aware of what we put in our bodies all the time. And we also know that there's seasons here. Now, we're very fortunate where we live in the Okanagan that we have big, plentiful um, fruit orchards here. Apples, apricots, pears cherries you name it it's amazing but in the winter time we don't we can't do any of those things they're not growing anything so we're importing everything and this is kind of a bigger picture discussion but you know the way that the world is right now transportation costs just inflation costs in general shipping foods in from other countries like it's huge huge costs and it's just going to keep going up and naturally you're not getting the freshest fruits and vegetables so being able to be in an environment where we can have land where we can put mango trees in the backyard and avocados and everything that we need where we just literally pick it off the trees or off the ground and we eat it that's a huge huge consideration in why we're going we want to be in that environment and the vision that i have for the property that we have in the future too is 
a beautiful waterfall on that property as, as well. And it's within walking or, you know, biking distance, like you can see the bike here, of the ocean so that we can hop in and go surfing, which is the third thing that I have on my list of why we are going, and that is uh, surfing. So I personally have only surfed a handful of times in my life. So I've surfed when I've gone on vacations to Mexico. I surfed when I was in Thailand. And then I spent three weeks in North Shore, Hawaii back in like 2015, I want to say. 2014, 2015, something like that. And it was an incredible experience. And I got my ass handed to me. Like I got knocked around. I, there was a few times where I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I came out with a whole bunch of guys that assume that I'm pretty decent at surfing and I'm way freaking over my head. Like literally there was 15 to 20 foot waves one day when that we were out there in. And I was like, holy shit, I got to stay outside of these sets so that I don't get pushed into these rocks. Like it was scary. But at the same time, it was so grounding and soulful. There's no other way to put it. It was once I started to learn that I cannot fight and beat this ocean. I can't muscle my way into a wave to catch a wave. I have to just become intuitive and feel and observe and take action quickly when it's time to go and, and just understand the smoothness of how it can be so effortless if you just let go. That is something that you never forget when you go surfing and you finally get that first wave. You're like, wow, that is it. That's the feeling that I always want to have. So I'm so excited to be in a place where I can do that every single day. And I know people down there that will um, support me as I venture back into that space too, knowing that like I'm going to get my ass kicked in the first week, month, year, who knows how long it's going to take. But I just can't wait for it. And my kids, I want my kids to experience this from a young age because they will have the opportunity to be trained and taught to respect the ocean, to be one with the ocean, um, to understand flow. These kind of lessons are ones that took me 40 years to figure out and mostly through pain. But I don't want them to have to experience that. I want them to feel it in a state of bliss, in paradise. And I'm super excited for them to get to do that. And that leads me to uh, education. So we have two boys that are four and five. And the oldest is going to be, you know, school age, like elementary school age in the fall by September. When we thought about the idea of staying here and putting our kid in the education system here, we had to start to just explore like, okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How long do they go for? What are they being taught? Um, what can they do for extracurriculars? All that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not here to bash the education system in Canada. My sister is a teacher. My sister is an exceptional teacher. She has an MBA. She's the principal of a school. She's put in 20 plus years into her craft. She cares. She gives a shit. She's exceptional at what she does. And she's not the only one. There's tons of amazing teachers. 
But I've said this out loud before, and, and I've mentioned it to her too, that I don't think it's the teachers that are the problem. It's the system itself. It's the projection of governments and society wanting to teach kids what to think versus how to think. A focus on a curriculum that, quite frankly, is just outdated. Like, why don't we have classes focused around emotional intelligence and curious creativity and exploration? And your extracurriculars are whatever you want to do. Straight up. If you have a passion for nature, it should be that. You have a passion for sport, you want to surf, you should do that. You have a passion for filmmaking, you should lean into that. You should do that. This school that my wife found in Tamarindo, which I don't know for sure if the kids will absolutely go there, but there's a handful of other ones that are very similar. It's called Tide Academy, and I'll I'll link it up for anybody that's uh, watching and wants to check this out. But they start their days at 6 in the morning on the beach doing dry land training and then getting the kids into the water. That was a huge one for me. I was like, that is an absolute must. My kids will surf when the sun comes up because I will as well. And if they can get taught by somebody, even better, because I won't be their teacher for this. I don't have the lifetime of experience. Other people do. And I want my kids to be taught by people with decades of experience. And there is a curriculum. It's not, it's not just a free-for-all, like, here, go and make your own tools and, and eat dirt all day. Like, I'm not saying it's that kind of school. They have a curriculum. They teach the core aspects of, of learning, of reading and, and writing and, and mathematics and science and all of that, which is great. It's, it's incredibly important because that, that could be the thing that they love. I don't know. But then it's the extracurriculars as well because from what I understand, they have like a nine till one curriculum. Kids are in school in class. But then outside of that, it's extracurriculars. You do whatever you feel like you want to do. And one of the things I was watching the documentary for this Tide Academy is about 24 minutes long. It's just interviews with the teachers, the parents, the students talking about the school and why they decided to to go there and what they think of it. And then a dad gets on there close to the end and he says, yeah, you know what I really love about Tide is that they allow us as parents to bring our skills and core competency into the classroom and become the teachers based on our life experience. And this guy was a filmmaker with Hollywood experience. So he brought a film class into the extracurriculars and the entire documentary was actually filmed by fourth graders. He said this out loud on the video and I was just like sold done because I don't even know if my kids are going to want to be the creative types that would stand behind a camera or create a impactful documentary. I have no idea. I know I'm passionate about that. So the likelihood is probably high that they will also love it as well. But man, to have that opportunity to do that, that's not available here in Canada. It's just not. And if it is, I'm not aware that it exists. So I'd love for somebody to enlighten me if that's not the case. But all of those things um, are huge. And me and Sharmila are obviously very passionate about and exceptionally talented at what we do in digital marketing and digital transformation and growth leadership and talent elevation. Um, 
Yeah, and just helping amplify the impact of the people and the companies that we work with to create more happiness in this world. That's what we do. Like, that's our core genius. We're exceptional at it, world-class. And I was on the path to be a teacher when I was in university. My very first major in my first year when I was like, okay, I guess I got to go to school if I want to keep playing hockey, (laughs) was elementary education. And I ended up dropping it after the first year because I thought, none of my buddies are doing education. And am I going to make any money in education? I was like, I better go into business. But my core of what makes me happy is as an educator, as a teacher. And what I did was I created that then. I've had 26,000 plus people be taught by me by paying for online courses, by being a part of programs that I've that I've operated and built from scratch. I am a teacher. I'm a teacher at, at the core. And I want to be able to teach my kids and other people's kids that would like to learn what it is that I've learned over the last 15 years in particular that would apply to them being able to live their best life. So we'll see what happens with that, but the possibility is there. And that's the part that I'm really encouraged by. Like, I don't need to go get an education degree. I don't need to, you know, apply for a professor job. I just need to take my core skill set of in the trenches, real world application of building million dollar businesses, selling million dollar businesses, um, having multi million dollar ideas that I never acted on feeling regretful, but then remembering that and taking action the next time, all of that real world experience, like, man, you can't teach that in university, but I will pass that on to my kids. And I'd love to be able to do it with other kids as well. It's a huge, huge, huge part of why, um, why Costa Rica and why a school like that. Okay, next piece, and my computer's starting to freeze up here. I'm trying to scroll down on a document, but hopefully this recording still works because I'm really enjoying this conversation so far. So the next piece, politics. I have to talk about the politics. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into it because the truth is, is that the politics are inconsequential to me. I, I am not, my life is not dictated based on who is the political leader or the prime minister in our country, or the president, if you're American or whatever, my life is not dictated by a politician. It's not. But there are policies that are made by politicians. And if there's a massive misalignment with those, and it does impact my ability to freely move without within the country and outside of the country, and it impacts how my kids are taught to learn and what to be and to do and It doesn't even seem real. It seems like a reality show. And then you got Bill C-11 here in Canada that's basically an internet censorship bill. Now, I know it wasn't positioned like that, but when you start reverse engineering it, you're basically looking at it as somebody within the government is going to say, that's approved and that's not. And if it's not, you got to take it down. It's like censorship at its finest. How is that? the kind of world that I want to live in or have my kids be consumed by on computers all day. No, 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 no. It's not happening. Not in my world, not with my family. And speaking of which with the media, like it's so obvious. Anybody that says like, Oh, you can't say that everything on the mainstream legacy media is not true. That's not what I'm saying at all. Of course they report truth, but there's also a level of censorship 
and a filtering of what the real story is, then how could you ever trust that? Their hands are in the pockets. The politicians have their hands in the pockets of the media. We're being fed what they want us to see and what they want us to hear. So again, my choice is turn it off, which is what I do. I don't even pay attention to it anymore. How can you? Both sides are screaming misinformation, disinformation. It's just absolute insanity. There's no point in even paying attention to it. You just got to turn it off. Another reason, right? I'm going to go turn it off and I'm going to sit by the beach. I'm going to go surfing and hang out with my kids. I'm going to focus on my clients, working with my clients and the, and the change makers of the world that I know that I can create impact with. I'm not going to worry about all this political crap. But there are major reasons why that's playing into why we're leaving. And it is the authoritarianism. It is the mandates. Um, you know, we may not agree on vaccine conversation versus unvaccinated. And that's okay. We have every right to disagree and still respect each other and still love each other. But when our right to freely move is restricted due to mandates that are not scientifically based, when our government chooses to implement emergency acts that give them the authority to freeze bank accounts, I know people say, oh, well, it could be worse. She could be living in China and North Korea. Well, yes, of course, that, that would be worse. Don't get me wrong. Nobody's arguing with anybody about whether it would be worse to live in North Korea where you can't even question the government. And if you said any something online, you might disappear. Of course, that is horrible. But when we live in a democracy, in a Western culture that is now saying that this is what you can and can't do, can and can't say. And if you don't like it, we're going to shut you down. We're going we're gonna to censor, we're going to shut down your voice, and we're going to potentially lock your ability to be able to make an income or even freeze your assets. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm out of here. Like, I'm not dealing with that. And some people might say like, well, you can't be bailing on, on your country. Like, you should just be riding it out like the rest of us, knowing that Within three years, we could vote out this government and, and then have a new government. And yeah, but like do the math on that. That's three more years of this stuff being implemented. That is two more years to even transition out of all of these crazy ass policies that our government's putting in place. That's five years from now. My kids are 10, nine and 10 by then. I'm almost 50. I got five years of kick-ass surfing to do. I ain't got time to stick around for this at all at all. That's another major reason why we're leaving. Taxes is another one too. So tied to the political conversation, but the rates that we pay for taxes here in Canada are extremely high. Now there's a reason for it. You know, we've got exceptional infrastructure. We've got great roads. We've got access to services and all of these different things. And then of course we have universal health care. Like I've lived in the States, in the US. I know the difference between the paid private system and the uh, you know, paid by your taxes system. When we're sick, we go to the doctor. We don't get a bill. But we've experienced this in the last couple of years. Our doctors and our nurses are, are burnt out. I talked to the gal that was taking my blood today doing the testing. She's like, it's an absolute zoo in here every single day. We're understaffed. It's been like this for two years. Everybody's burnt out. Every single person that I talk to in the health 
space is burnt out, including family. I have family that are uh, one cousin that's an EMT. Same thing, like long hours, stressful situations, burnt out. And I've said this before, and, and I don't want to turn this into the discussion around the health side of things, but I always ask, are we measuring the right things and asking the right questions and, and critically analyzing things properly? Because as an example, this government that we have is about to implement universal dental care in Canada now as well, because of this coalition connection between two of our parties that were not voted to be a collective like that, but now all of a sudden have created that and are making decisions and pushing policies through because of their ability to create a majority government. So this universal dental system on the surface is like, well, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Everybody should have access to dental care, of course. But I look at our medical system. It's completely backed up. The people in it are burnt out. The doctors and the nurses are not really getting paid that much considering what they're actually doing. On the other hand, in the dental side of things, you've got dental practices that are making tons of money. You should see some of the biggest, beautifulest houses here in Kelowna on the lake are owned by dentists because they're making coin. They do a crown that may or may not need to be done. How do you know? You're not a dentist. What are you going to do? But you go to 10 different dentists, they'll tell you 10 different stories. But that crown in Canada might cost two grand. And you go to Mexico and to Costa Rica or whatever, and the level of service is just as good, if not better. Quality of work, same thing. But the price is like a tenth of that. So this is a deep-rooted system problem. This isn't just a, oh, the government's going to put universal dental care implant. The world's going crazy. No, this is way deeper than that. This is the cost of goods. This is inflation. This is, you know, medical companies that are jacking up these prices. Look at all the money that these pharmaceutical companies are making off of these vaccines. How much money these medical device companies are making off of hospital beds and drill bits to drill into people's brains for brain surgery. I have friends in these spaces. My intent is not to put them down for what they do. They're amazing people. They're serving their family. They're making a living. But the truth is, is that their industry is broken. It's part of the problem as well. But it's a North American problem. It's a, it's a, it's a westernized world problem, which is, again, another reason why we're getting out of here. We don't want to be a part of it anymore. This inflation that's happening, it's not going away anytime soon. Everything's going to get more expensive. Everything. And the fact that when we pay as high taxes as we do, and the level of service that we're actually getting is not that great. And we're being restricted from even accessing the services. I didn't even talk about that. I put a post about it on Facebook today that, you know, I had to basically convince my doctor that I should get the testing done to test all of my levels, my vitamin levels, my, um, my, my gut microbiomes, all that kind of stuff, my cholesterol, because he said to me, well, you know, if you test too many things, then you just start worrying about stuff and it actually has a negative effect. And that one, I was just like, what? Like, no, I'm like proactively trying to be the healthiest version of myself. I want to know the numbers. What should I be putting in my body? And then I had to convince him again to give me the requisition for the test because he's like, well, you know, we really don't do these tests for anybody that just asked them because they cost the government money. And I'm thinking my taxes pay for that shit. 
give me the test. It was really disappointing to actually experience it in, in person, but that was the truth. That was the truth. It was another eye-opener of like, okay, so we pay all these taxes and we don't actually get access to all the service, all the services. And it certainly isn't preventative. It's reactionary. It's what can we do to help keep people alive after it's too late for them to actually live a full life? What kind of life is that? What kind of life is that? What kind of policy is that? It just makes no sense to me. I don't want my kids being a part of it. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And just the debts that we have, like this whole COVID situation and the lockdowns and the government grants and the, you know, buyout of, or, you know, the paying for the legacy media's uh, attention and, and what they put out into the world. We have massive debts in this country. They're not going away. And guess how they're going to replace those debts? This is how they're going to replenish those debts. They're going to tax the people. And again, people might say, well, you can't just bail on that. You got to pay your part. You're a Canadian citizen. Yeah, until I'm not. Because I won't be a Canadian citizen soon. And our tax rate will be significantly cut. And we will contribute to the community that we are living in. We're not going to just free freeload off of a low tax um, country or try and find ways to hide money. Like we're not looking to hide anything. We're here to contribute. We're here to be of service. But I'm not here to fix everybody else's bad decisions that they've made. I'm not here to be a part of a society that has backed up medical systems because our diet is shit in this country. Because we don't take personal responsibility for ourselves. This is why North America, Canada, the U.S. are in the situation that we are. Why the rates were so high during this whole outbreak. We don't take care of ourselves. It's personal responsibility. I'm getting sidetracked here. I'm going to stop on that side of things and just say we're leaving because of the taxes and we will be contributing to the to the places that we're going to. We will pay our share to be a part of society to help grow the community, grow the culture, grow the people, all of that, but we won't be paying for misused funds by a government that I don't align with, that's trying to tell me what to do with my body. End of story. And then the last piece is the culture. What I mean by this is when we go to Costa Rica, we're not going there with the intent on identifying as expats. We are immigrants in that country. That's the truth. I know North Americans like to say, oh yeah, expats, expat. We're not expats. We're going into another country another culture. We need to respect that culture. We need to integrate into that culture. That is our full intent. Now, we know that we're going to have to shed some of these luxuries that we have right now and all the things that we're, we're accustomed to. Of course, it's going to take a little while to get used to. Of course. But we are going to do that. We're not going to go down there and be those people that are upset because the internet goes down one day or because we don't have hot water one day or whatever the case might be. You know, our house floods or our garage floods because there's a flash storm. We just have to go with the flow. Just be a part of it. Hang with the locals. Again, my wife is Fijian Indian. She's darker. My kids 
We have one of each. We got a dark-haired, brown-eyed boy, and we got a blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, <laughs> which is pretty cool. But, you know, we're going to be a part of that culture. We're going to contribute to that culture. And it's going to be incredible. I cannot wait. And will it be our forever home? I have no idea. I have no idea. We are going down there with the intent on locking into a one-year lease, a rental, in the area that we want to be in so that we're close to the schools, we're close to the beach. We got everything. We got the pool. We got a beautiful place, a separate suite for the, the office space. And we will need to have cash if we want to buy a place down there. Now, if we were to sell this house, we'd be in a position to buy something right now if we wanted to. But we want to keep our place here. We want to rent it. Um, and like I say, I've got some some wins coming here from investments that I've made in myself, in my business, in shares that I have, um, all of this kind of stuff. There, there's, there's cash coming that will give us the ability to buy. But we're not in any rush, you know? If we get down there and we're like, this is it, this is where we want to be, then yeah, we'll buy. If not, I don't know, maybe we'll end up in Panama. I don't know. I have a, a really close friend who's in Huatuco in Mexico. Bayside Real Estate, for anybody that's interested in Mexico. Huatuco is incredible. It's my friend Brent and Aaron May. You got to reach out to them. They're actually, their their real estate company is branched out way beyond Huatuco now too. They're in the Yucatan. They're up in Puerto Vallarta as well. But who knows? Maybe we end up there. I, I have no idea. But this is the next adventure that our family is going to go on. And I think of it that way, you know, unlikely destinations. Who would have thought that this white kid from the middle of Canada who grew up playing hockey, who froze his feet on outdoor ice rinks for 12 years of my life before I finally got into competitive hockey and just, you know, never, never even stepped outside of my home province until I was about 20 years old, you know? Who would have thought that I'd be living in Costa Rica with a beautiful wife that I align with spiritually, who's been through everything with me, which is what makes all of it even that much more special, the highs and the lows and everything between, the blessing that is our two boys after having two losses late in uh, pregnancy due to stillbirth. I don't think I could have even imagined this kind of amazing life that I have. But I'm grateful for it every single day. And I'm ready for this. I created this. I thought I might do a 15-minute session on this one, but I don't even know what it turned out to be. Probably 45 minutes at least, maybe longer. But it was exactly what I needed to say. And if you watch this all the way through, thank you for listening. Hopefully you have a better understanding as to some of the drivers that are taking us down to paradise. And if you have questions or something inspired you here or something I said you want to explore further, just reach out to me. Like, I want to help others that are ready to take that leap as well because it's possible. I don't care what stage you're at right now. You could be a teacher that feels like 
you could never possibly quit your job because what would I do? I know exactly what you would do. And I know a community where you could be involved in that would make you feel normal really fast. And I know a lot of people that want your passion. This is what I'm here to do. I'm here to amplify the impact of change makers of the world. The first step is you believing that you are one of those people. Because as soon as you do, that's an unstoppable force. Now all you got to do is align yourself with the right people, the guides to show you the way. Everything else is available to us. Every tool, every communication device, it's all available. You just have to believe. And then you got to take that leap. And I use this analogy all the time. I'm there to grab the hand of the people that say, F it, let's do it. And I jump with them. Let's go. It's beautiful. It really is. And stay tuned because I'll do episodes, obviously, when I'm in Costa Rica. And I'll give you the update on like if everything is exactly how I thought it was going to be. Or if there were some things that came up that I wasn't anticipating. It might be a bit uncomfortable. But that I will lean into because this is what I'm all about. Uncomfortableness means growth. And I'm here to grow. Thank you for watching. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. Yes.